Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get... Is the podcast. Well, recently I was scrolling through Facebook, as I often do. Yeah, I was going to say that's an often occurrence. Yeah, I mean, guys, stay up with my peeps, you know. All your people. I have, I have a lot of Especially people. on Facebook. That's, that's the place where your people live. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I came across a video of Tim Keller... And if our listeners don't know who Tim Keller is, you should like pause this and Google him and then just watch whatever videos pop up and read whatever articles and books because Tim Keller is like brilliant. But anyways, I saw a video with him and he was talking about white privilege and he was uh, in a panel discussion and he was talking about the statistical reality that has shown that being white in America gives you advantages in our society. And he argued that from a biblical perspective, because of that privilege, white people have an obligation to be a part of the solution rather than denying that the problem exists. And he said it in such a better, like, more intellectual Tim Keller way than I just summarized. And I thought the argument was really well stated and, you know, really compelling. But the person who posted this video... And the people who were in the comment section most certainly did not agree. So the person who posted it didn't agree, right? No, they they posted it like with an angry face and a poop emoji. Oh. Yeah. I don't think you can do that on Facebook, can you? You can put a poop emoji on Facebook? You can put a poop emoji anywhere. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, there were comments in there that were saying that, like, Tim Keller's gone downhill, that he's gone liberal. Uh, Mm. There's one person who said he was a Marxist. Yikes. Which I'm not sure that person or really most people who use that term know exactly what that term means because Tim Keller didn't talk about overthrowing capitalism or anything about the the struggle of the plight of the proletariat or anything like that. Of the what? The proletariat. Can you explain that, it's like please? The, it's part of Marxism, like the working class people are okay, thank overfl- you. overthrowing the bourgeoisie. And so he didn't mention any of that or anything like even related to an economic system. He was just talking about the existence of systemic racism. And I think people just throw that out. I think it's worked pretty well as a political maneuver anytime in the last 70 years that if you disagree with someone and you want to quickly discredit them, you just accuse them of being a communist. That's like that's like a pretty good go to move. Anyways, I don't think Timothy Keller is a Marxist. Timothy Keller. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sound like you said Timothy Killer <laughs> with an I. I did not. But nevertheless, all those people that were opposed in the comic section, they were self-proclaimed followers of Jesus. And so when we talk about this issue of white privilege, which at this stage of my life and my understanding, I've kind of taken as a given, but it's not so much a given. And this is a sociological conversation as to the existence of white privilege, what effect does that have on us? But it's also a theological conversation that we should wade into from a theological perspective. And so that's what we want to talk about today. From a biblical perspective, is white privilege a category that we should use? Is it a category that we can defend using or or as being helpful for understanding uh, the root of racial problems? And if so, 
you know, how do we relate and respond in the midst of that? These are some pretty important questions, especially in the time that we're living in for us as Christians to wade into these waters a little bit. And certainly our last few podcasts have talked about that because as Christians, we shouldn't be fearful of stepping into the messy conversations that our society is dealing with. And not only because we think we need a voice in them, but because as Christians, we are supposed to be the light of Christ and we are supposed to be the light of Christ in the world that we're living in. And so to become tone deaf to these conversations or to say they don't exist, I think is, is anti-gospel to some degree. Yeah, definitely. And kind of what I want to do is discuss this in a way that is exploring it because in a lot of conversations around this topic in particular, especially, well, I guess everywhere, but as we're talking about it, especially as it relates to the church is either you, you don't believe white privilege exists or you do believe white privilege exists and you start from that assumption and you base your arguments on that. And so kind of what I want to do is theologically just look at that assumption, whether it exists or doesn't exist, whether it has an effect or doesn't, and kind of break that down because that's not something that I see happening a lot in the world of social media and sound bites. That there's not a nuanced discussion about that from a theological perspective. Yeah, and I think that's unfortunately not happening because. There's far too many emotionally charged conversations. And, and we've been engaged in a few of those. We have been engaged in a few of those emotionally charged conversations. I think we have an episode or two. Right. Yeah. And the reason for that is because this actually affects people's lives. Whether you believe it exists or, or not, in some way, it's affecting people's lives in a day-to-day kind of a way. Yeah. And so that's why it's important. That's why really I wanted to do my homework and really think this through and then kind of share that with everybody and we can kind of discuss as we go. But I think as we begin, there are a couple of key terms that are helpful in this conversation uh, that are a big part of kind of dissecting this. And the two that we're going to draw out right now are actually two that have entered into kind of the life of the church as the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the largest denominations in North America. I think actually the largest denomination in North America has brought these two terms into the fold of their conversation around race. And the first one is critical race theory. And really what critical race theory is, it's a framework for understanding history through the lens of white supremacy and argues that white supremacy and racial power are maintained over time. And in particular, the mechanism that does that is laws and policies that are put into play to maintain the white supremacist structures. And so this theory sets forth that while these structures have changed over the generations from slavery to segregation to discrimination and microaggressions, they have served to establish and maintain a mindset of white supremacy in society. I think a few places you can see that at least one of the largest places that has really come to my attention recently is our history books. 
all of the heroes in our history books end up being white. And you hear a lot about these famous people that were part of our history as a nation and all of them are white. And only recently have I started to hear stories from other people that are not white who have made large impacts on our country and especially in seminary. Unfortunately, in seminary, most of the theologians that we have read about and we look up to and glean a lot from their wisdom and their studies of scripture end up being white theologians. Yeah. And going back to the history pieces, it's not only just the heroes, it's even the stories that were told. I didn't know until like a year ago about the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre of 1921. That was a major event that nobody ever told me about. I didn't know about the movie birth of a nation until I was in college. And so these stories just weren't told to us, even though they're a major fabric of American society. And yeah, even in seminary, we only hear the stories of white guys. We only hear the, the wisdom and the thoughts of white guys, not to detract from the theologians that we've learned from, the historical theologians that we've learned from. It's just there's other voices that have been muted and ignored. And that is part of a system of white supremacy that that white is kind of normative. I think, unfortunately, too, we've even seen this in missionary work. Not so much recently. Times have certainly changed. But in the 19th and the 20th century, American missionaries going out, it, they were really practicing a form of cultural imperialism where they kind of made you Western and American as a part of preaching Christ. And so there's, there's white supremacy laced within that as well. Yeah. And I had seen that firsthand when I went to South Africa for four and a half months, I was there. So it was longer than, you know, some of the other short-term missions trips I've been on. And I was really surprised by how familiar church felt in South Africa in the middle of a village that took us an hour and a half to get to by dirt road. And they were singing songs that were part of church service in the U.S. And the way that they did church was part of church services in the U.S. And after spending some time in those churches, I, I quickly figured out it was missionaries that came. And I don't know if it was so much intentional that they were trying to bring over their way of doing church as it was they were just doing what they knew to do. So it's kind of hard to, to really dissect that in terms of intentions of the missionaries. But it was a completely different experience when I would go to churches in another village that didn't have white missionaries and they actually had different songs that they were singing and even their church service looked different than what I knew of in the U.S. So you see a lot of that in terms of missionary work overseas where the main focus is is teach the people of these countries the way that we do church here as opposed to trying to just teach them Jesus only. Yeah, and I think that's an important subtlety that you're drawing out and we should probably define what we're talking about when we say white supremacy. Cause when you say white supremacy, what might be conjured up in your mind is like white hoods and burning crosses 
and all of that. Like that's white supremacy, and anything short of that is is not. But really, when we're talking about white supremacy, what we're talking about is just this implicit assumption that whatever is white culture. Whatever is the white way of doing things is the normative way of doing things. That's kind of the standard. That's the gold standard for culture and worldview and customs and everything else. That that is the standard and everything that deviates from white culture is itself strange or exotic or other. And that the best way is really the white way. And really every culture, you do things the way you do them because you think that's the best way and culturally that's kind of the way it is. Where the the problem becomes is when we're in a nation like ours that's founded upon a power structure of white supremacy, that, that problem becomes all of the heinous things that we've seen happen to people of color uh, in this nation. So that's critical race theory. Another important term is intersectionality. And this is a framework that kind of explores the intersection of different forms of privilege or disadvantage that a person might experience based on, say, their race or their gender, class, religion, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, or anything like that. And so these kind of different factors together can create kind of a network of privilege or a lack thereof in a person's life. For example, a, a black woman might experience discrimination for her skin color, or she may even more so experience discrimination because of her gender. So there's intersectionality between those levels of discrimination. Or you might see a a white male might have privilege because of his whiteness and his maleness, but experiences discrimination, say, if he's disabled and is in a wheelchair. And so intersectionality is looking at all of those networks of privilege and disadvantage and kind of looking at that grid. And I mentioned the Southern Baptist Convention earlier, and they have, to a certain extent, embraced these terms and these disciplines of thought. And they actually came out with a statement, and in that statement they said, quote, critical race theory and intersectionality alone are insufficient to diagnose and redress the root causes of the social ills that they identify, which result from sin, yet these analytical tools can aid in evaluating a variety of human experiences. So basically what they're saying there, and what I totally agree with, is that intersectionality, critical race theory, these academic disciplines that are exploring all of these things, they can't provide us with the whole answer. However, in understanding these things, they help us unlock a lot of what the human experiences about. And so in the same way that chemistry or physics or psychology tell us about this world and about humanity and what it means to be human, we would never discard those. But they also don't give us the fullest picture because the fullest picture and revelation of what it means to be human is found in Scripture and is found in Jesus. Right. And so as we took this from an academic perspective, I think it's also important with what we hope to do with this podcast is, is not only look at it from an academic place, but to also look at it from a biblical perspective. And so certainly you're not going to see white privilege in the Bible. Cause there's it's, no white people in the Bible, no white people in the Bible. Um, which 
is an entirely different discussion <laughs> based on the way that America, Americans view the Bible currently. But there are no white people in the Bible. So the way that we want to address the biblical perspective is to see, is there any kind of privilege of race or gender or any of these other social categories that we have listed? Is there any kind of privilege that exists within scripture? And what does scripture have to say about places of privilege? Yeah, I think one that is in the Old Testament is the story of Jonah. And we all know the story of Jonah that he was told to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites. He didn't want to go. And he got gobbled up by a big fish, was in there for three days and three nights. He came out, he preached to them, they repented, and everybody lived happily ever after. But if you actually read the book of Nineveh and you explore exactly why, I'm sorry, if you actually read the book of Jonah and you understand why it is that he didn't want to go to Nineveh, which was, I believe, the capital of Assyria. Yeah, it, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And really, it what it boiled down to was Jonah was super racist. And that's why he didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites. When he told God why he didn't want to go. He didn't say, God, I didn't want to go because I was afraid the Ninevites wouldn't listen to me. I was afraid that they would treat me poorly. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be effective there. He says, I didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites because I knew that if I didn't preach to them, then they couldn't repent. And if they couldn't repent, that they were going to experience judgment and that they were going to suffer. And so he was coming from this place of Jewish superiority of of this superiority of Israel that made him think and truly believe that these Assyrian people were not worthy of the grace of God the same way that his own people would be. Interesting. I had always understood his reasoning behind it was because of how terrible the Ninevites were and how inhumane they were. Like, that was always how I heard it preached. I mean, that was certainly true, but they were no more or less in, inhumane than Israel was. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's an interesting um, piece of information that I didn't even know. Um, so as we kind of talk about privilege in the Bible, another place that we see it is in the New Testament, just with the Jewish people alone who were privileged over the Samaritans. And we see a number of places in the Bible that talk about how the Samaritans were the group of people that were look, looked uh, looked down upon. They were seen as less. They weren't seen as equal status to the Jewish people. I mean, you see Jesus talking to the woman at the well and his disciples were just flabbergasted that he was talking to a Samaritan, not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where she had two counts against her. It was a double whammy. Right, because she was Samaritan and she was a woman. And we also see it in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That is a perfect example of the way that this Jewish privilege was viewed during the time of Jesus and and the way that Jesus viewed it. Clearly, he, he was against it. Yeah, to make a Samaritan the hero of a story was highly subversive to make a Samaritan, the hero over and above a Levite and a priest. I mean, you look at that and it's, it's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, 
no wonder the Pharisees wanted to kill this guy because it was that subversive to their sense of privilege. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we hear about the Good Samaritan and even non-Christians have this phrase, the Good Samaritan, that comes from this piece of scripture. So we've really created the Good Samaritan as somebody you want to be. But during the time of Jesus teaching this, the Good Samaritan was so countercultural and so offensive to the Jewish people because the Samaritans weren't even worthy to be helped. Yeah. Another one would be uh, the Sadducees. And this was really a, a more of a uh, political financial privilege that had – it was kind of old money that the Sadducees had. And so they had this – they were in the upper echelons of society and they had this place of privilege. And they actually used that privilege to – exploit people because they had a lot of influence in in the temple. So when people came from all over, you know, the known world at that point to worship at the temple in order to give their offering or to buy a cattle to sacrifice, they had to change money, had they had to change currency. And so the Sadducees were basically just screwing people over and giving them bad rates. And so that's why Jesus went to the temple and he turned over the tables because they were using their place of privilege to exploit other people to line their own pockets. Yeah. And even within the early church, the Jewish believers were privileged in the church over non-Jewish believers. And that's actually much of what the letter to the church of Rome and to Ephesus were written to talk about. Like Paul was writing these letters to say, no, it, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish, like within the family of God, within the church of God, we are all equals. And that was a huge, huge point Paul was trying to make because it was such a massive battle that was happening within the church, where if you were Jewish, you were elite and you had a higher standing within the church, then if you were non-Jewish, you were automatically placed a peg lower just because you were non-Jewish. Right, because the Jewish people grew up knew, knowing the, the scriptures that Jesus was Jewish. And so you see a lot of this back and forth in the letter of Romans. We we don't often think about the letter of Romans in that way. We think of like this big textbook of theology, which it ends up being. But the context of that letter is there was a lot of division within the church between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. The Jewish believers having a bit of a superiority complex and the Gentiles perhaps not wanting to have anything to do with them. And when I say Gentiles, all that means is non-Jewish people, people who are not Jewish. Yeah. And so when we take a look at scripture and see what did privilege look like in the Bible and what did the Bible have to say about it. Really what we're seeing is that most of the privileges in, in scripture were generational and wherever God saw them being exploited, he had something to say against it. Jesus was not a fan of privilege because in the kingdom of God, there is no Christian that is more privileged than another Christian in the kingdom of God, we are all on the same playing field. And so to see any measure of privilege playing out within the world and in a way that people with less privilege are being exploited, Jesus is 100% against that. Yeah, so that's kind of an overview of some biblical passages. And as you look at those, you might say, well, yeah, I don't know if that really maps 
though, because we don't have slavery. We don't have segregation. And yeah, some people are racist and some people aren't racist, but where is the room for kind of personal responsibility in this? And this is where a lot of the pushback on the existence of white privilege comes from is kind of this argument that, that says, you know, black people today have never been slaves. I've never owned slaves. So why can't we move on and just treat each other as individuals? And we don't really need to talk through systemic structures because segregation is illegal now. It's illegal to discriminate against people on the basis of their their gender or their skin color or their ethnicity or what have you. What is the major rub? Why, why are you still saying that white privilege exists when we've desegregated and we've discouraged discrimination wherever we can find it? Sure, there are some ignorant racist people, but that's not me. And so what is this white privilege thing? Isn't it about personal responsibility? And to a certain extent, that's true. You can see the merits of behind that thought, but it fails to account for the long-established systems that have privileged white people, particularly we're speaking from an American perspective. And we could could have a whole other podcast on where we've seen those things, but I think it really starts with the fact that this nation was founded on the backs of slaves. And there's no denying that, that much of the labor force of the early American economy was built on the backs of slaves that were stolen from their homes in Africa. And that ingrained a sense that all men are created equal unless you're black, like from the get-go. And so there's this kind of duality of what America was meant to be is the land of the free and the home of the brave, unless you're black, then you're just a slave and you're not even a person. And then we kind of move past that after uh, the emancipation of slaves, and we get into Jim Crow. After, I mean, there was this brief moment in Reconstruction where things were looking optimistic, but then we get into Jim Crow where there's segregation, there's housing laws that put black and brown people into neighborhoods that were under-resourced. And because of that, you know, crime is going to rise, and you're going to have issues there. And even... More recently with things like the the war on drugs and unequal sentencing for drugs where there are steeper prison sentences for drugs that are more likely to be used by black people like crack than there is for something like cocaine, which is more likely to be used by white people, but frankly is a much stronger and more powerful drug. And so and, – and that's let alone the fact that we criminalize what is essentially a public health issue and funneled resources there rather than pouring resources into that community to build that community up and to rehabilitate that community. Instead, we policed the problem and criminalized the problem. And all of that is feeding into white privilege, mass incarceration of black and brown people, it's not that black and brown people are worse people and deserve to be imprisoned more frequently and for longer sentences. There's a systemic issue there. Yeah. It's really easy to become overwhelmed because I think we've become a bit more educated on these subtle nuances, you know, that we didn't realize existed for so long. We didn't realize how deep 
this issue runs into our systems. And honestly, like, it's really disturbing. It's really disturbing to see, to a large degree, if you are a person of color that grew up in a poorer neighborhood, like, you genuinely have less opportunity and less places of privilege to be able to lead the same life that someone of equal talents, equal skill sets, but is white can have. And for me, the more education I find myself uncovering, I become a bit more overwhelmed and discouraged because this feels like too big of a burden to carry and I feel helpless to do anything about it. I think you're tapping into something that is a big pushback on people even admitting that white privilege exists. Because if white privilege exists, then oh my goodness, like this is horrifying. Yeah. And it's it's the whole system. If from start to finish, it's the whole thing. And that's terrible. And we don't want to think about that. And I think that's why a lot of us will deny white privilege we just have to realize that having the ability to deny white privilege is a privilege is itself a privileged position to be in the fact that i can turn off you know a documentary that is peeling back the many layers or the fact that i can just stop reading something and go back to my normal life and be not affected at all means i have privilege right and that i can turn off the uncomfortability and i can turn off the the white elephant in the room and pretend as if it doesn't exist that alone means i have privilege and we've heard a lot of stories of people of color who have risen above all of these challenges to become successful in life and their stories are really inspirational but the fact remains that the challenges were there to begin with and not only were the challenges there to begin with but the challenges were intentionally placed there by systems of institutional racism with an underlying assumption of white supremacy that dates back to the founding of this nation in one way or another. And now it's certainly better than it was in that we don't have slaves anymore, and it's certainly better that there isn't all-out segregation. But the lingering legacy of those things has, has tainted social structures and even shaped policies in a way that sometimes we we might not even realize, and sometimes even the people who are putting those policies into place didn't realize at the time that what they were doing was was shaping a, a, a system of white supremacy. And part of that was because many of the people who were making those decisions, if not most of the people, if not all the people, depending on the policy you're talking about, were themselves white. So they didn't have the perspective to understand that to begin with. And so when you start to peel this back, you're like, oh, I, I understand. This is just the air we breathe. It's just the, the, the water that we swim in. We don't realize that it's there, but it's shaping all of these things. And so we need to take responsibility for that. But you might say, like, I didn't sign up for any of this. I didn't put any of this into play. I didn't write any policies. I didn't, you know, determine any of these things. I didn't decide to be white. It's not my fault. I think there are biblical categories that will help us to wrap our mind around that a little bit. And so we want to look at some kind of biblical 
categories to help us with that. But as we look at the clock and we look at how much more we have to cover, we are realizing that this is a longer conversation than one podcast episode can contain or two really. But for what we wanted to cover, uh, it's probably going to be a two-parter on this one. Yeah. And so I think for, for this particular podcast, it's important for us to look into the many layers and the many realities of how involved this topic becomes. And it's not as simple as I think a lot of people want to make it where we just have anecdotes of, well, I'm not racist or I know I have plenty of black friends and I hear that a lot, which is really uncomfortable as well. But it's important for us to actually look that at this from a holistic point of view and not even holistic as the way society is experiencing it, but holistic in regards to us being Christians. What is it that the Bible has to say about this? And what is it that Jesus has to say about this? Because it's not just about the color of your skin. And we can easily say that doesn't matter in the kingdom of God because everyone is on an equal playing field. And that's true. Everyone's on an equal playing field, but it does matter the way that we treat brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially if we're treating them different based on the color of their skin. And I also think it's important before we sign off for this part to point out that we're not here to bash people for being white. That's not what we're trying to do to say that that white is evil or anything like that. But what we do want to do is just take a critical look and say, hey, there are some situations where white people have been advantaged over and above people of color. Right. And as we conclude this podcast, I want to share a little bit about what's to come on the next one. And that is really what kind of categories can we view this social issue in based on scripture. So as an individual, you might be saying, I am not a racist individual. So what does this conversation have anything to do with me? And we do believe that there are biblical categories that are enlightening and are straight from scripture to help us understand how to critically think through this. But not only what are those biblical categories for us as individuals, but then moving into how do I respond? Again, for me, this is very overwhelming. It feels like it's just way too large of an issue that goes so deep into our history and so deep into our systems. And I am in no way involved in any sort of a political field. So I feel like I have no influence in that way. So we want to be able to share how can we respond and how should we respond simply because we're Christians. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. found myself on a ledge three stories high at some condominiums contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose have you ever found yourself on the ledge my name is billy yant i'm a caring father mentor and friend in my new podcast billy and the goat i share the life-changing events 
that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.